Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. And tonight we continue with our series called No Matter What. Um, and this is out of the book of Philippians and it really is in a it's been an incredible series. It really has. We've seen God bring life. Um, a, a, a young lady in our church shared about two weeks ago on Sunday morning how God has uh, totally delivered her from anxiety and, and I think it was depression. Totally delivered her, which is just the power of God breaking in into an area in our world that is almost seen as, as, as so normal. It's this thing, oh, well, people struggle with depression. But actually, God breaks in. He brings freedom. He brings life which is really, really cool. Um, like Gabe said, I have the privilege of being on staff here. I've been on staff at Life Changes for five years, been part of the church for, I think, eight years now. Um, this was the, the second church I ever attended and, and just has been an incredible journey. Um, you guys are amazing. I want to say I, I have um, my best friends are in this church, and it's in a thanks, Gabs. Um, I, I was referring to Gabe. Um, but it, it really is amazing. I get the privilege of leading a youth ministry called Vox, Pretty much most of the leadership team is in the front here, um, and they're amazing, but we really are having a lot of fun. Um, church is fun. We like to have fun. Are you guys keen to have a little bit of fun tonight? Um, we love the Bible, and, and I'm excited for what God is going to do tonight. So during this series, we have had one major idea where we did not just think, what can we call a series? And Mark came up with no matter what, and everyone said, that's great. Actually, there was some thought and process behind this, and there's a there's a scripture in Philippians 1.27. It goes like this. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a man- manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. And this is a man named Paul. He's writing this. Um, and it's, it really is this, this incredible call to us as, as Christians. And if you don't know Christ here tonight, there is an amazing call of God on your life. And when you meet Jesus, you step into that call. And what, what, what Paul is saying to them here is going, no matter what, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's this radical call, and, it, and that is what underpins this whole series. And I just had, a, 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 as I continued reading with that, that statement, he says, whether I come and see you or only hear about it in my absence, it's almost like Paul is writing as a dad. I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but your parents have an ability to know what you are doing even when they are nowhere to be found. It's just this unbelievable ability that they have. Like you, they walk, get home in the afternoon, it's, what have you been doing? I'm sure most of you guys have experienced that. And it's almost this thing where he as a dad to this community is going, actually, I'm, I, I want to see you flourish. I want to see the way you conduct yourself change the world. It, it's a, a simple thought, but I just had this thought that actually we are conduits of the gospel. We are these, the, this, these, um, these almost cables that carry the gospel to, to people and to places and to a city that deeply needs Jesus. Um, and so I would ask you, as, as you hear this series, please go listen to the rest of it online. It really has been amazing. And I would ask you to, to take a hold of that scripture, that no matter what, conduct yourself. Because it really is absolutely incredible. And, and I believe that there's something in that, that that will change the world. That reality where young people go, the way I act and the way I engage people actually matters. 
I, I have the, uh, like I said, the privilege of leading a youth ministry. And, and one of the things that marks young people is this thing of, well, what I do now doesn't really matter because I'm not an adult yet. But actually, we want young people to be standing up and going, I want to count for God. I want to conduct myself in a, a way that sets an example and, and changes people's worlds. And at the same time, older people who are willing to allow God to transform them and do new things and, and see God engage them in new ways. Is this, it's just this incredible thing that God does. So please listen to the rest of the series. It really has been amazing. But tonight, I get the privilege of, of jumping into Philippians 3. Um, and, and Philippians 3, and this whole book is actually this incredible book of, of Paul, the writer, almost just he's engaging this church in a place called Philippi or Philippi, uh, different people say it different ways, but he's, he's speaking to them and, and engaging with them. And it's, it's quite amazing the way he writes it. It's very different to all his other letters. It's almost this, it's just this letter where he's expressing his affection and love and just, he loves this church. He really, really loves this church. Actually, this church was quite amazing in that it was very similar to Cape Town. Very, very similar to Cape Town. It was the first place in Europe where the gospel was preached. It's this incredible thing. So, so Paul hears God. He goes into Europe. He preaches the gospel to this lady named Lydia. She gets saved, and the church is birthed in Philippi. It's this, uh, the, the commentators say that this would have been the, the gateway city to the gospel reaching Europe. So this is the moment in history, this, this piece of writing where this church was birthed and every person who knows Jesus in Europe, it was birthed in this space. It's quite a radical thing when we realize that, that these texts and these things that are written by these men like Paul and John, actually they were moments of God moving in miraculous ways. We speak about a lady named Lydia. She was a real person. I think sometimes when we hear these things preached and spoken about, we engage them from a distance. But actually, Lydia might not have been too different to your neighbor. She might not have been too different to the person that you engage with on the My City bus on your way to work. She was a lady, the, the, the Bible says that she, she sold purple cloth, which basically means that she was a merchant in cloth um, and would have been a relatively affluent lady. But, but it's, just, it's just this intriguing thing that, that these stories are in the Bible of God engaging people. And so we jump into Philippians 3, and, and it's this amazing portion of Scripture. And I'd love it. If you've got your Bible, could you open it? We're going to read it together and just engage this. It really is incredible. It will be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you. Um, Philippians 3, and we're going to go from verse 10, and it goes like this. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take a view such, uh, of, of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. It's just, it's just this, and it, it might seem a bit much in reading it in a short moment like that, but it's this profound portion of Scripture. And if I were to title my, my sermon this evening, if I were to give it kind of a, uh, the main impetus of it would be uh, this title. It goes like this, This One Thing. 
And I want to talk, um, and I, I, I came up with that all by myself. It's also in the scripture. It says it there. Um, so no, I didn't come up with it by myself. But it really is, it's, it's just this almost hinge moment where Paul is speaking. And, and so I want to get stuck into that a little bit. But I want to ask you tonight as a person, what is your one thing? Don't worry, you don't have to shout it out. Some panicked faces, don't worry. Um, but actually, what is your one thing? What is the, the thing that you are known for? At school, I was known for being in sports teams for very short periods of time and often was asked not to be in those sports teams. The first cricket game I played, I went out for a golden duck. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, but it really, uh, I, was, I was known as that guy who actually, I used to for six months be in a sports team and then I'd go do something else because I wasn't good at it, which is okay. And, and we all have our journey. But um, Star Wars, I was very good at I could recite that stuff to you though. Um, great childhood. I was very popular. Um, but it, it really, it, it's this, this thing of actually, what is your one thing? What is the thing that people know that when that your name is said, they go, oh, that is that person. Well, actually, Lee is the best-looking guy in the front row. That's like the, your immediate thing you go to. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. Um, no offense, Gabe. Um, but it's, <laughs> but it, it's this thing of, of and I, you know what? I think for most of us, if we were to dig into ourselves a little bit, we could answer that question. We could go, what is the one thing that motivates? What is the one thing that when you wake up in the morning, you immediately think about? What is that one thing that is the thing that seems to drive you forward? It's a very powerful question to answer because it helps us establish and understand the motives of our lives. It, it helps us to understand the decisions we make. That one thing that, that is when you wake up, that's, oh, okay, well, is it money? Is that the thing that immediately pops up into your head? I need to make my, my days living today. Or, or is it um, relationships? Or is it my, your boss? Is that the first thing you think about in the morning? And um, that's never happened to me. But, um, and so it's, it's this, this thing of actually going, um, except when I make a mistake on Facebook. But that's another thing entirely. Um, but actually, it's this, <laughs> it's this thing of actually... What is your motive? And I love this. I love Paul. In the beginning of the scripture, in verse 10, he says this, and I think it is amazing. He says, I want to know Christ. He says, I want to know Christ. It's like he's not, he's not hiding it. He's not going, well, you know, I've been thinking about it and processing it. I've written a list of 10, and I'm kind of ticking them off as I go. And he's not doing that. He's going, I want to know Jesus. He's very quickly establishing his one thing. It says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Some people don't like that part. They're like, what does that mean? Well, actually, no. Paul sees in the Bible that suffering is a reality of being an impactful Christian, being an impactful believer. So he says, I want to participate in that. Why? Because I want to impact the world. I don't know about you. I don't want to live a boring life. I don't want to live. I honestly don't. I want to live a life that changes the world. And on the flip side of that coin, I know that I will live a life that changes the world. Why? Not because I'm amazing, but because Christ is in me. And so when we engage the scripture, there's this earnestness in Paul's voice going, well, actually participation is becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I'd, I mean, Paul may have been speaking literally here, but I also think there's a sense of actually, I want to die to myself. I want to come alive in Christ. I want to engage God in this way. I want to know Christ. And I want to say to you that if as I say that, that's a difficult thing for you, or, or actually you've never engaged Jesus, He's the most beautiful Savior you will ever meet. His love is more powerful than you could ever imagine. 
And I want to say, if you're a believer here tonight, and as I say that one thing of I want to know Christ, I trust that something comes alive in your heart. I trust that something, even if you've, you've stepped into, into a stale space or into a comfortable space, I trust that as, as I say that, there's something that, that comes alive in your heart. Something that says, this needs to shift. I think I love Paul. He, he paints this picture in, in five words of actually his vision for his life. He paints this unbelievable picture. He says, I want to know Christ. In Philippians, Paul speaks about Jesus 38 times in a two-page book. It's quite a thing. Two pages. And he just engages in this radical, he loves Jesus. If you read it, it's quite often he, he's speaking and he goes finally about five times because he just wants to talk about Jesus. He loves Jesus passionately. I think it's, it's this reality that he was speaking into a culture that was very distracted. They actually could not have a synagogue in the city because there were not enough male Jewish people. So you can imagine that this was a melting pot of cultures and religions and all of these kinds of things. A very confused space. A very Cape Town space, actually. Where people are not sure who they are or where they're headed or, or what their lives are supposed to look like. And, and he speaks into this culture and he goes, this one thing. I want to know Christ. Because why Christ brings order. He brings life. He brings vision. And Paul paints this beautiful picture. I think, I think we as people are very good at everything. We want everything. We're very good at that. It's, it's actually in my life, you know, I'd, I want everything I can get my hands on. I, wanna, I want to be as wealthy as I possibly can. I want to have the best family. I want to do the best things. I want, I want everything I can get my hands on. I think we're also good at new things. I was, um, I was chatting to someone yesterday, and, and young people, particularly uh, millennials, actually, they don't stay in jobs for much longer than a year and a half. And I think 50 or 60 years ago, um, men and women, they, they stuck to something. There was a culture that said, I'm going to fight for something in a space. My uncle, um, just a simple story, when he was 18 years old, he started working at a company called Braytex. And uh, 40 years later, he's the managing director of that company. There's something that where fruit breaks in when we are consistent. I think it is the mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ to walk in consistency. It's a mark of a disciple to go, I am going to keep fighting for this one thing. But I think so often we're good at the new thing. We get bored. We get frustrated. We, 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 we don't enjoy the relationship. I think, I think Christians do that with church. I think God puts them in a place and they run away because actually I can't engage this. I want a new thing. But actually Jesus calls us into spaces. He asks us to engage and grow in spaces. I think we're good at everything. We're good at new things. But I think God is calling us to this one thing. And so tonight, I'm sure you're asking the question, well, that sounds amazing. I'd love to be able to go, this one thing is, I want to know Christ. I want to walk into the call of God. But I'm sure you're asking the question, well, how do I walk into this space? How do I step into the more that God has got? And I remember quite distinctly when I, I, I came to church for the very first time, I, I wasn't joking when I started speaking this evening, going, I was very freaked out. It was a new place. I hadn't attended church much in my life. Um, and, and God started to work in me. And God started to do things. And He started to take me on a journey. And I believe that a lot of it was because of a willingness of heart to allow God to do that. And I think as we, so, and, and the reason I say that is because as I, as I share very briefly on how we walk into these things, I would ask that God would open your heart. 
And that's not a weird kind of spiritual thing. It's actually where we go, okay, God, I'm going to take a, a, a back seat here, and I'm going to allow you to lead. I'm going to allow you to show me what decisions to make. It's this engaging of God where actually we take the back seat in our lives and that terrible statement of Jesus take the wheel. Like that, that reality of actually God is the, the driving force. And I love how Paul puts it in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I love that. It's so disarming. It's like Paul is this phenomenal man. He's an accomplished man. Paul actually was an extremely wealthy man. He was very well educated. He was very well known. He kind of had the, 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 the world package in his day. It was this, this thing of actually what everybody wanted. He as a person actually had every reason to go, actually, no, I'm going to pursue my own things. He had money. He had fame. He had all these realities. And, but rather, he engages this thing. He says, I press on toward this goal. And I love how disarming he is in that he goes, I haven't obtained this. I haven't got it all together, but I'm walking the journey. And then I love this where he says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I believe that in order for us to walk into any call of God, in order for you to walk in the fruits of the Spirit, in the fruit of God, in the, the life that God has for you, I believe wholeheartedly that that starts with a love relationship with Jesus. I love the way he puts it. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. It speaks of this radical response. And I want to say to you that you cannot live a Christian life outside of the power of Christ. You cannot live a, a life that is pleasing to God outside of the power of Jesus. If you're trying, I would ask you tonight to stop. And I would ask you to ask Jesus to enter your heart and transform you and empower you. Because I believe that everything, every moment that we engage God, every step that we take in faith must be empowered by Christ. It has to come from a love relationship. And like any relationship, there are, there are growth points. There are moments where we go, okay, wow, God, I, I understand that more. And, and like I said, when I first entered into a church space, it was very confusing. It was very challenging. But God took me on a journey. I started to understand what this karaoke thing was. I'd like it, it bewildered me initially. But I, and, and slowly but surely, God started to work and move. And I really believe that that, that thing is, is so key that it has to come out of a love relationship with Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this thing, which I think is so amazing. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And I've got two very simple points tonight that I believe will help us walk into this one thing. This I want to know Christ reality. Two very simple points. Can I ask you to say this with me? The first one is let go. Very good. And the second one is press on. Okay, so we'll try. First one, let go. Second one, press on. You guys are amazing. Just helping me remember what they are. And I just feel tonight that, and it's, it's a very simple word, but he says this. He says, forgetting what is behind. And it's this reality of actually letting go of our past. You know, the Bible says that when we come to know Christ, we are a new creation. The Bible uses this terminology that many people didn't understand, but it says you, you are born again. 
And it's quite a weird um, concept, but actually it's this beautiful picture that actually there is a new birth in Christ. And uh, the, the profound thing, and, and I, I'm so blown away by this, but a newborn baby does not have a past. It's incredible, I know. I know, I've just come to understand these things. Um, but actually, there's this reality where it speaks of we are born again. But so many believers who have this new life in Jesus still hold on to their old life. Still hold on to their old realities. I once went on a hike, and, and when you go on these like three-day camping hikes, you have to wear that backpack. And that backpack has got tents and food and all kinds of things, and you walk like this most of the time. It's really, it's not enjoyable at any level. But so many Christians are walking around like this. They're like, no, I'm fine. I'm totally okay. That's how they live their lives. But actually, Jesus is saying, let go of your past. Let go of those things, because actually, I've dealt with them. You know, I believe, and I honestly believe this in my heart, that when we hold on to past realities, we are saying to Jesus, what you did is not enough. We are actually going, Jesus, what you did is not enough, because that thing still holds me. But when I let go of my past, I'm saying, Jesus, you did everything. You are more than enough. You guys can say amen. I thought that was a good point. Um, and I think in order, thanks, Kev. In order for us to walk into this journey, and we have to, I think, identify our past things. I think so often we hear preachers go, let go of your past. Let go of the things that hold you. Let go of the things that you, you hold on to. I think Paul, as a man writing this, had every reason to hold on to his past. He murdered Christians. He murdered the people he was writing to in this. I don't know when last you murdered a Christian. It's like this, it's quite a thing. It's like, it's, I haven't done that. It's quite a, like, it's quite hectic. I, I, would, I would feel bad if I did that. I don't know about you guys. But it's, it's quite a, like, but actually Paul had every reason to, to walk in guilt and walk in shame. But he walked free. Why? Because I want to know Christ. Is it failures in areas of your life that you, you hold on to those things so you can never walk into God's call? Is it um, sickness and brokenness that have, have held you and actually going, well, God, can you deal with this? Can you bring me out of this? Is it, is it broken situations? Is it moments in your life where, where family relationships were broken or, or people hurt you and you still hold on to that thing? And it, you haven't let go of it so that you can walk into the more. Unforgiveness is this thing that actually it poisons us more than it poisons the other person. Offense is actually, and a profound definition of offense, it's actually offense around yourself. You're the only one who can't get out. That's what offense is. And we hold on to these things and we don't let go of them and we can't walk into the more that God has for us. I love the word he used. He says, forgetting what is behind. It's almost this, this continuous thing of needing to constantly forget. Why? Because Satan at every opportunity will try to remind you of your past. I promise you, when you get saved, Satan does not go, okay, that's it, I'm done, and walk away. Because if he can't keep you from God, he will keep you from the purposes of God. And one of his, his biggest strategies, and it's a reality, we're in a war, one of his biggest strategies is reminding us of our past faults. And I believe tonight God is calling us to let go of those things. The Bible says that the purposes of God are good, pleasing, and perfect. I don't know about you, but I want to walk into a good, pleasing, and perfect future. But I've got to let go of past things. I've got to let go of the things that hold me. I think so many of us live consumed with memories and thoughts of our past scenarios that we actually can't see a future. 
We actually can't see the future that God has got for us. And I love in this moment, this one thing, Paul paints this beautiful picture. I want to know Christ. You, you almost get this immediate sense that he has a vision. You almost get this immediate sense that if you had to walk up to Paul and go, what is the vision of your life? He'd go, I want to know Christ. And I, I want that kind of conviction. I want to walk in that space. And so I would ask you tonight, God has a radical call on your life. But let go. Let go of those things that are hindering you. And secondly, and I think this is so, such a powerful point and, and statement if we walk into it, is, is where Paul says, I press on. I press on toward the goal. You know, the gospel is against striving, but it's not against effort. It's this amazing statement. I'm not, I'm, I know I'm quoting somebody else. I'm not 100% sure it is. Thank you. Um, but it's this amazing thing that the gospel is, is against striving. You don't have to strive for your salvation. You don't have to do things to, to acquire the love of God. But he is totally okay with effort. He's totally okay with, Paul, this is not a passive word. Press on is not a passive word. He's not calling us to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to go there slowly. I'm just quite relaxed. I'm just, yeah, I'll, I'm going to go to church. And it's actually this reality of we get to walk in and we get to press in to what God has got. It's this active reality. We walk into it. I think this is the essence of no matter what is. Wherever you are, and, and the essence of this series is wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, you're pressing on to the goal of Christ. That's what the essence of this series is. The essence of the book of Philippians is actually that you would have joy in trial. Paul is writing this letter from prison. But you read the letter and you would think that he's at um, a, a day spa. He just is happy. There's life. There's joy. But he's in a prison. Why? Because he's pressing on in the midst of his triumph. I would ask you to press on when life is easy. I think this is, uh, I think so often we walk in this reality that, that we, we preach this and we go, press on when it's tough. But we need to press on when life is easy because it's the perfect time for us to get distracted. It's the perfect time for us to drift. When life is easy, when, it's, when we're cruising, when everything's going well, it's so easy for us to drift. And I would ask, press on when it's, when it's easy. And then I would also ask that press on when it's tough. Because actually that is the perfect time for us to get despondent. It's the perfect time for the enemy to go, actually, is this real? And actually when we engage Jesus, we say, Jesus, I am where I am. This is my situation. But you are God. You are Jesus. I'm pressing into God. I think transformation comes. I love Psalm 16, 8 says this. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. This radical psalm of actually, I keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I want to say to you, the ground will shake. Life will shake. The Bible promises us trial. But we will not be shaken because we, have, we stand on the rock that cannot be moved. I trust that this is building faith in your heart. I trust that as you, as this one thing, I want to know Christ, grips your heart. This, how do I walk into that? Well, actually let go of your past. Press on to your future. I trust that you would start to see the more of God. I think these are, these are the things that underlie walking great faith journeys. I think men and women who we hear about who walk these radical faith journeys, and I'm, I'm not just talking about preachers. 
I'm not just talking about men who are in ministry, but rather you hear radical testimonies of men in business seeing the favor of God. You hear radical testimonies of, of people going to Mozambique in faith and, and going, well, actually, we don't have the money for this. I think this is the thing that underpins that reality. Where actually I go, Jesus, you are my one thing. Because I think we are so easily distracted. But when I take a hold of Jesus, I say, you are my one thing. We are focused. I think Paul, in years of ministry, there was a period of time where Paul was in prison for two years, awaiting trial. Literally in prison for two years. But he saw the life of God break through, through letters he wrote, through faith steps he took. I think sometimes when we go, okay, God, I, 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 I am totally and completely convinced that for Paul to see the favor and life that he saw in his life, he had to understand that Jesus was his one thing. And I would, I would ask you tonight to engage God. Because the reality of, of this revelation, of this thing, of where Paul actually says, he says, um, but this one thing I do, that's a personal revelation. He wasn't giving direction. He wasn't saying, this is the way that you should do this. He was going, this one thing I do, it's a personal thing. It's where I get before God on my knees and say, Jesus, I need more of you. Jesus, I want more of you. Jesus, show me my future. Jesus, show me which steps to take. I think those things bring transformation. And I love how he, um, how Paul ends the scripture. He says, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And I love that line because it's almost as Paul's going, if you, if you know Jesus, then have this mind. And if you don't have this mind, trust God to change it. Because we walk a transformation journey. I believe that, that uh, the Christianity as, a, as, as a Jesus is the only one that transforms us. Every other religion in the world will give you directions. It will give you things to do. It will give you boxes to tick. But Jesus is the only one that comes in and transforms us from the inside. Jesus is the only one that can take a, a man who is in complete brokenness and complete disarray and bring life and order. A man who has, a woman has no future and give them a future. Why? Because they realize this one thing. 